This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I am joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you doing? Pretty good, Tom. How are you? Managed to stay awake, you know, group all of player availability, even Jason Tatum. Yeah, I got a text from Nicole at uh, at about 11.30 that was like, I'm setting an alarm for 12.15. So uh, here we are, recording after the Miami Heat defeated the Boston Celtics 112-109 to in Game 4. Miami goes up 3-1 in the series. Really just, I thought, up and down the roster. A lot of failings on the Boston Celtics uh, here in Game 4. So the final score was 112-109, but it did not feel that close. I think if they did win, if they did pull off this comeback, there's no way the Heat win the series. I think it's the Celtics series for sure. The result, I feel like, is not reflective of how lopsided the play was. And the Heat didn't even play that well. The Celtics were I was gonna say, so I... bad for the Celtics to be heading into halftime down six. Like Brad said it after the game, we were so fortunate to be in that position. And they were. Like The team finished with 19 turnovers seven of which came in the fourth quarter, which that honestly is the really unacceptable part is like once you sort of get yourself back into the game and still in the fourth quarter, you turn the ball over seven times. Like if we're talking about like who deserves to win and I'm shocked Brad didn't bring out that line tonight that he always likes to say like they deserved it. I mean, it was not a good showing. Like Jason Tatum was scoreless in the first half, a rough offensive night from Marcus Smart. 19 turnovers, though, ultimately is the key stat, in my opinion. Like, how do you expect to win a game if you're turning the ball over 19 times? It really is, like, the story of the game. Pretty sure the Heat turned the ball over, at least when there was two minutes left in the fourth quarter, the Heat had turned the ball over once in the second half. The only two players on Miami's team who had more than one turnover were Bam Adebayo. Adebayo had three turnovers, and then Goran Dragic, like, the primary ball handler, had two. Meanwhile, the Celtics, six for Jason. Jason Tatum, four for Marcus Smart, four for Jalen Brown. I don't know how many of those were live ball turnovers, but a lot of them were. Like there were a lot of, you know, handing the heat runouts and that kind of thing. I thought there were four stats that really sort of defined the game. First one is the 19 turnovers, more specifically the 19 to eight. You're just going to have such a hard time winning unless you just absolutely shoot the lights out, which the Celtics did not do. They were 47% from the field, 35% free, 81% from the line on 21 attempts. Like that's fine. But like in a three point game where you turn the ball over 19 times to eight, you're going to lose 100% of the time, I feel like. Number two was Marcus Smart, one for eight from three. I think that he often takes the flack when the team struggles because it's easy to blame sort of the unconventional guy. But like tonight, Smart was just hoisting stuff. And like, I I understand that to an extent, like Tatum wasn't shooting in the first half. So somebody was going to have to take some shots. Like I get that there was some of that, but I thought Smart took some really bad ones. There was one three in the second half that I just was like, I don't, like it barely hit the rim. It hit the backboard. Like it was just a brutal shot. 
Well, yeah, when the bad shots persist, like you said, I get it in the first half. I get you trying to get into your offensive rhythm. Like, that's understandable. But in the second half, so Tatum goes 0 for 6, misses his first shot of the second half. So then he starts 0 for 7, but finishes 10 for 15 and makes, like, very clutch shots that sort of keep the Celtics around, makes four three-pointers in the second half. I think that's the thing with Marcus is you give him the benefit of the doubt if he's feeling it. But if you're 1 for 8 or if you're whatever you're shooting, you just got to feed Tatum, I think, in these moments. For sure. Or like, you know, I mean, just don't, don't be hoisting threes. Like the other thing that the people don't talk about with Marcus is that he's gotten really good at floaters. He's gotten really good at like, you know, posting smaller guys up. Like if you ever got Dragic on a switch, you know, go ahead and try to exploit that. Maybe get a couple of buckets around the rim, like one for eight from three. You can't do that. He and Kemba took the same amount of threes. You know, Tatum took the most because he had 11. But, like, I thought one for eight from three for Smart was really telling. Um, and then, obviously, I think the Tatum stat that you mentioned before is another one. And then I, and then I think the big one um, is Tyler Hero having 37 points on 21 shots. Just a otherworldly performance from, like, a 20-year-old rookie. The Heat were able to hold the Celtics off because Tyler Hero was hitting crazy shots. Like, he, was, he hit, like, a couple of step-back threes, one on Smart. Um, and he just got into such a rhythm. Yeah, I mean, he was amazing tonight for sure, and tonight was by far his best performance, but I feel like he's been showing this throughout the bubble. Like, tonight sure. was the night where he really went off, but, like, I mean, he went on that little run in the second quarter, I think, of Game 3, or, like, in the first half of Game 3 that really kept the heat around. The funny part, though, about his stat line is that he scored 37 points on 21 shots, which is incredibly efficient, 5 of 10 from 3, but he finished a minus 4 for individual plus minus, which just goes to show how much that stat really is not necessarily the most representative sometimes. (laughs) It uh, did not fully capture what was going on. Let's take a look at, let's take a quick look at some of the players. Obviously we touched on Tatum, but let's start with him. Brutal start to the game. Exploded in the second half, 10 for 15. You know, I certainly don't think that like having a bad first half in like a game four meant that like he's not ready for prime time. But like, I do think that like the first half was really, really damaging. Like the Celtics don't come back into the game in the second half without him. But also like, I mean, come on. Like if you can go two for seven in the first half instead of like oh for seven, it's like it just would feel like a different game. Not only would the you know, the six-point deficit at halftime probably be a little lower, Boston's offense just would have felt more feasible. Like, they would have looked a little bit more coherent in a way that, that I didn't think they looked. The broadcast commentary got a little out of hand because they were all of a sudden like, oh, is Jason injured? Like, what's going on with Tatum? Like, is everything okay? Like, maybe he's nursing something. And it's like, the guy's just cold. And I guess that speaks to sort of the expectations that are on Tatum now, which is that he's expected to be the guy like from the get-go. Clearly it wasn't going well because we were at the point where the broadcast was literally wondering if, if he was injured. And I'm pretty sure Rachel Nichols asked Brad during his sideline interview, like, everything okay there or something? And Brad was like, yes. Rachel, like, asked Brad, like, you know, is, is there any injury or anything? And Brad was just like, oh, but I've been told about <laughs> To, to me, the biggest thing that, like, the biggest criticism of Tatum was, like, you've gotta, you gotta keep shooting. Like, I just thought he, like, kind of gave up on the first half. And, like, I understand, like, you know, wanting to get to the locker room and sort of regroup and come out for the second half. But, like, it looked like he just, like, stopped trying to even score. And, like, you can't do that. Even if you're missing. I mean, early in the second half, he hadn't started going yet. And I was starting to think to myself, like, look, the Celtics have to start, have to get him going because, like, they were going to lose if he didn't get going. Like, you might as well 
like try to do it. If Tatum doesn't start scoring, the game is over. So try to get him scoring now because like what other choice do you have? And I also think Jason Tatum is the guy on the Celtics where if he's taking a high volume of shots, you're okay with that even if he's missing because that's the guy he want doing that. No, for sure. Um, Marcus Smart, three for 12 from the floor, one for eight from three. We talked about that. You know, one for four to your point about, you know, first versus second half. He was one for four in the first half from three. His one three was on a uh, offensive rebound by Tice. Oh for four in the second. Just continued hoisting them. That was bad. He did have 11 assists. I thought that he was one of the players who attacked Miami zone and looked to pass, which was good. But overall, disastrous performance by him in just like the worst possible game to have a disastrous performance. I thought, you know, the worst type of game for him to just keep shooting, you know, keep trying to shoot himself into it. Jason Tatum needed to have a little bit of Marcus Smart's energy in the first half. I mean, they all had bad turnovers, but he also had four turnovers. It's just inexcusable. Like, I just keep coming back to the turnovers. It's just you can't you can't expect to win when you turn the ball over that often. Yeah, I would agree with that. Kemba Walker, 20 points, 6 for 14 shooting. I thought, you know, he wasn't perfect by any means, but I thought he played hard. The, the biggest problem with Kemba was that he was on Hero when Hero started to cook. The Heat kind of went Kemba hunting for a little bit. But just in general, I mean, I thought Kemba brought good energy. Like, he, he tried. He had, you know, 20 points, 5 assists, 4 rebounds, uh, you know, 3 for 8 from 3. Like, he was fine. Kemba played pretty hard, but I, I just kind of thought that he was sort of a a non-factor almost, which is better than what most of the rest of the team was. Kemba was the only member of the starting lineup that had no turnovers. Like you said, I think he was sort of a non-factor when it comes to the loss. The one thing I guess that I did notice was that the Heat were definitely looking to take advantage of him defensively. Not only Hero, but whoever was matched up against Kemba, I feel like their first option was not to pass, basically. Like I think if they, it, it, I think if a Heat player had Kemba defending them, they were a little excited. It makes sense. He's the one weak link in the in the Celtics defense, and he's not even a weak link. You know, you, you would call him like the weakest link, I guess. But the guy plays hard. The guy tries. Like he's you know a little bit stronger than you would expect, given his stature and the, and the way the Celtics defend too. Like it's pretty easy to force a switch. There was one play where the Heat put Kemba into a pick and roll between Hero and Butler. And I was just like, this is just brutal. <laughs> like whoever, like whoever he got stuck on in that scenario, it was going to be devastating. The Heat seeking out Kemba isn't going to be the reason why the Celtics lose. I think that's not when they turn the ball over 19 times. <laughs> I think that's like just something that's going to happen because Kemba is, like you said, the weakest link and he's so short. Like, of course they're going to try and take advantage of that. I mean, you have to do something. So. I guess the last guy that we uh, that we should probably talk about, Gordon Hayward, you know, played 29 minutes. I, I didn't think that he was, like, offensively bad at any point. 14 points, 4 for 9 shooting, you know, relatively efficient, 7 rebounds, 3 assists. You can see how the offense is a little bit cleaner, a little bit smoother when he's in the game. Yeah, I mean, when, when he was out of the game, the Celtics' offense looked a little bit more bogged down, and when he was in the game, everything just kind of clicked a little bit better, even though he wasn't even though he wasn't putting up, like, Tyler Hero numbers. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's not the expectation of him either, so. Of course, yeah, for sure. Totally fine. I guess, speaking of Gordon Hayward then, what did you make of the best five lineup? With six and a half minutes remaining in the fourth quarter, Celtics are down 85-91, and Brad subs Hayward in for Tice, and they sort of try and rock with the best five lineup. 
It does not go particularly well, in my opinion. But what did you think of the decision to go to that and how they fared? I guess they had to do it because it worked in game three. It was successful. Like the, the, it proved yeah. itself to be successful. And you know the Celtics were down six, so they needed a spark somewhere. They needed to try something. Clearly, it did not work. It got shredded. It has gotten shredded before this season. This was not the first time that it got shredded. It felt like sort of a hail mary. I understand the rationale behind trying it out, but it clearly, like, I, I think we kind of have our answer about that group. Like, I really would have thought that that group would be like a Warriors death lineup. So why isn't it? Like, what do you think is holding them back from being, because like, it's not even like, oh, are they like Warriors death lineup status? It's like, no, this is bad. Yeah. Like, like a positive for the Celtics. So like, w- why do you think it was not successful this evening? Looking forward, would you turn to it in game five if presented a similar situation? I see. I, I, I think I'm done with the best five lineup. If I'm Brad, I mean, I, he, he, he subbed Tyson pretty quickly. The Celtics were getting kind of roasted on the offensive glass, especially in the second half. I think part of the reason why the Warriors death lineup worked so well and why the Celtics doesn't it is the difference between Draymond Green and Marcus Smart. Prime Draymond Green was a no questions asked defensive player of the year. Long arms, like versatile, hyper intelligent monster. Marcus Smart is a monster, but I think this is the difference between him and Draymond. So I would not turn to it again. I would be, I would be done with it. In terms of why it didn't work in this game, I do think that a sum of it was just like, they just made some tough shots. Like Hero just made some, some really big boy shots. That's not the only reason that it didn't work, but I think that if you look at tonight, like, why it broke down, I think that was part of it. It was just, like, sometimes the other team just plays better than you, and uh, that happened for the Celtics in the fourth quarter, I thought. The first heat basket after they turned to the best five lineup was that bam dunk where Kemba got switched. Right, yeah, exactly. I feel like that is the perfect example of the lineup getting exposed. I would agree heartily. I I thought that we should just briefly touch again on, on Miami's zone. Um, I thought the Celtics needed to attack it, just drive at it. Like, I have a hard time blaming Brad for, you know, the loss of this game when there's, there was documented evidence pregame of him telling his guys, drive to the hoop. We're at our best when we drive to the hoop. And then they just like didn't do it for like two and a half quarters. It's like, and obviously 19 turnovers also, like, it's not like Brad was the one passing the ball to the other team, but like, it's hard to blame Brad when like his game plan clearly worked because when the Celtics did start driving it into the teeth of the defense, they started getting easy offense. I also thought it was funny. The broadcast was like really praising Eric Spolstra for sticking with the zone. They were like, some coaches might've come out of it, but Spo like, you know, stuck to his guns and stayed in the zone. It's like, yeah, Dude, because Tyler Hero and Gordon Dragic are on the floor, and if he comes out of the zone, the Celtics are going to attack those guys until they're a bloody bolt. Like, of course he was going to stay with the zone, praising him for, like, sticking with literally the only thing that could possibly work defensively felt like a little bit much to me on that. Why would you ever stray from something that's working in a playoff game against, like, the Celtics? Yeah. It was like, it was a really bizarre thing to like, to go in on it. Like, yeah, praise him for like a million other things, but for sticking with the thing that's working, like, yeah. Also, they've been using this in multiple games now. It's not like something he rolled out, you know, to test out in game four and then like stuck with it. It's like, nope, like we've seen this. This has been like an ongoing issue. The thing that works kept working. Like, all right, man, what a, what a brave guy sticking with it. That's no knock on Eric Spolstra. That's not one bit. Again, I think he's the best coach in the NBA. The last kind of note that I had that I wanted to touch on, I'm just curious, like, do you think, like, Miami is the better team? I think the Celtics are the better team. I think Miami has just been playing better. I mean, the Celtics, like, look, 
Game one, they blew their, what was it, a 15-point lead? Game two, they blew a 21-point lead? Game three... They won. They won. And then game four, both teams sort of play like meh, but the Celtics play like absolute shit. So it's like, I mean, they don't deserve, I don't think they deserve to be up 3-1. I don't think they deserve for the series to be tied, but I do think that they're the better team. And I do think that they should at the very least have the series tied if they were playing up to their, I guess, potential. Through four games, the series is tied points-wise. Both teams have scored 441 points. So I think it shows that, like, it has been relatively evenly matched, but the Heat are coming up in the more important moments. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I think, like, when you when you just kind of go through the uh, the rosters, I just think the Celtics have, like like, the top five players, the top six whatever players in this series. Like, I think four of them are Celtics. The, the Heat are just grinding this out, and I, I it's really impressive. And they just play really hard. They don't stop. They don't quit. Well, the thing is, too, is that the Celtics have had a chance to win in every game. Yeah. Even tonight, where they had, there was no reason why they should have a chance to win. They did. I well, mean, and just, I, I just, to, just to add to that real quick, I would say that they've had better chances to win because, like, the Celtics could have won this game, and then we're just like, here's the ball. I guess the concerning thing too is that they haven't been able to close in three games now. It's yeah. not like it just happened one time and they learned their lesson. It's <laughs> happened twice from them blowing a lead and then tonight them making the comeback and then unable to finish it off. I don't really know what the explanation there. I don't really know what the criticism there is other than like you have to be better than that. I think a lot of the Celtics struggles have been that simple. It's playoffs. You got to be better. Like you just have to. And maybe this is like a learning experience. Like, you know, I, I think that there is something to the fact that like this is still a young group and they are still learning how to deal with expectations. And I think that like as they learn, they will get better. It's not like they've completely coughed up everything. Like they've had, you know, good moments. This is not like a James Harden just completely loses it in the playoff situation. This is just like, you know, I think this is just like a team that's that's learning how to do this and is learning how hard this can be. I mean, not to sound like Brad Stevens, but you also have to give credit to the Heat here. Certainly, 100%. They actually are executing in the important moments. Tyler Hero going off for 37 points also is, I think, indicative of a problem with the Celtics in that their bench, again, really is so non-existent. You really need your core guys, Tatum, Jalen, Kemba, and I guess Gordon and Marcus. Those two are sort of interchangeable now that Gordon's making his recovery, but you need them all to be able to contribute. And with Tatum just not being able to do anything in the first half, that is going to hurt you. And he knew it. He said it was unacceptable, but it's like... To your point about the bench, I, I do wonder if, if if Danny knew how close the Celtics were going to get to the finals. Because I don't think... I think even, you know, in February, like when the Celtics were playing like pretty well, I don't think anybody like thought like the Celtics were like probably going to challenge the Bucks. You know, maybe like challenge them, maybe, maybe take them to six in the Eastern Conference Finals or something like that. But I don't think anybody thought like... The Celtics would be like the Miami Heat away from the NBA Finals. If he had known that they were going to be the Miami Heat away from the NBA Finals, I wonder if he would have pushed a little bit harder, maybe like put Grant Williams and Romeo Langford in a package. They don't even have a guy on the bench you can rely on for 10 points. Me, yeah. Brad Wanamaker. I would, I would say that, that Brad Wanamaker scoring 10 points is a luxury, not something you can rely on. 
Like yeah. when that happens, it's like, oh, cool. Brad Wanamaker scored 10 points. They literally don't have a bench guy that you can count on for 10 points on a given night. They do technically because the bench guy that you rely on for 10 points is either Smart or Hayward. But you can't rely on Daniel Tice for 10 points, and Daniel Tice is the starter. So, like, they really don't. Like, their depth is just a real problem. It's been surprising to me in the past two series how Brad still continues to go 9 or 10 deep, whereas the opponent is going, like, 7 or 8. Like, in the Toronto series, Nick Nurse basically played the same five guys for all of the second half. In this series tonight, Eric Spolstra only played like seven guys. I mean, Solomon Hill got four random minutes, but really stuck to his seven guys. And I'm wondering now that the Celtics have been pushed to the brink, whether Brad will be able to stick to a shorter rotation because of how weak their bench is. You would think that the Celtics would be the ones playing only like seven or eight guys and Brad has yet to do that. Looking forward to game five. I don't totally know like what adjustments the Celtics should make. I mean, they just you know, maybe. try and take care of the ball. Just don't turn the ball over. Drive and don't screw up so much. Like I really think that's like that's what it is. Like and I hate I, I know how like reductionist that sounds. Like it's just it's it's not like a very interesting take, but it's like I think that's kind of what it comes down to. Do you think the Celtics will win game five? Um I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think they're going to win the series. I don't think they're going to win the series. I literally can't decide whether I think they're going to win game five. Like, if I had to make it, I don't know what I would say. I guess, I mean, I will go with no. I don't think they're going to win game five. You know, would I be surprised if they won game five? Like, no. Like, I could easily see them winning game five. But, like, I don't think they will. Like, I... Because they haven't deserved to win any of the games that they've had so far. Like, again, they're the, I think they're the better team. I also don't think any of the four games that have been played so far have deserved to go to Boston. So like, why would that change? Like we have like a four game sample size now of the Celtics not deserving to win. So like, yeah, I guess like, I don't think they will deserve to win game five either. So I predict they will lose. I think the fact that we are so torn and then ultimately predicting that they will lose is just a testament to Miami of how hard it is to bet against them based on what we've seen. It's just so hard to count them out. I also think it means that the Celtics are going to win game five by like 27 points (laughs) and then lose game six. So Awesome. All right, guys, we will leave it there. Thank you all for listening, um, and we will talk to you all after game five.